Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's football at four. All right, football at four. It's a Mosher Monday, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. The latest podcast dropped this morning at 6 a.m. for more on the Philadelphia Eagles at camp with Jeff Mosher and Adam Kaplan. Jeff Mosher's in the house today. Football at four is being brought to you today by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com and win real money with their sports book, along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's bring Jeff Mosher in. We got a lot to dive into, Jeff, and obviously it was a wild weekend around the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's first start with the big injury. Uh, Jalen Rieger, uh, you reporting that he is out three to four weeks with a labrum shoulder problem, and it looks like he will not be ready for opening day. Yes, it looks like that right now, Mike. I uh, hope you guys had a great weekend. Um, yeah, Jalen Rager uh, suffered the injury at practice. The shame of it is that it was during that scrimmage. If you remember, he missed the first scrimmage with, I think, a stomach bug that had been going around. So uh, this latest injury happens during the scrimmage in which Jalen Hurts throws an interception. And Jalen Rager does a good thing that you like to see in camp, a guy hustling to make the tackle after the interception, but he landed very hard. Now, people originally felt it might have been a wrist or arm injury because that's what he was holding. But after they did the MRI, they were able to see that it was a a labrum injury. So the pain must have kind of shot down his arm. But uh, the good news is that it doesn't need surgery. Uh, The bad news is, though, that he's going to be out a few weeks. I know that they're waiting on the result of a second opinion, but I was told Jalen's feeling a lot better today. Swelling seems to be down. Maybe there's a chance uh, if if you're going to err on one side or the other, and I know that the way things have gone with the Eagles the last few years, people tend to look at four weeks and think three months. Uh, Maybe, maybe there's a slight chance that he recovers a little faster, but I still think the three- to four-week timetable is pretty, pretty accurate and fair. Uh, obviously, that brings up the next question of how was he looking in camp and how are the Eagles, uh, you know, what was his role going to be and how will the Eagles now fill that? He was looking really good in camp. What you wanted to see out of your first round pick, especially with this condensed and altered training camp version and no OTAs, he was far and away doing what they asked him to do. He was going to start at the X position. Uh, on the you know the, the side opposite to Sean Jackson, and he was also going to be the primary punt returner. I was told, uh, and now they obviously have to go to Plan B for both of those spots going into the year. I, I would suspect that Jalen or uh, not Jalen JJ Arthago Whiteside will see a lot of time at the X, and I think well we have to see how they feel about Hightower, the rookie fifth round pick. He's done really well in camp, but. We talk about this a lot, right? All the guys who shine every year at camp, and then for whatever reason, it doesn't translate into the uh, into the regular season. I, clearly, the guy's got to make the team just based on the fact that Rager and Alshon Jeffrey are unlikely to play in week one and maybe more for, for Jeffrey. So you've got spots open. You've got Ortega Whiteside, you've got Deshaun, and you've got Greg Ward as your top three. So Hightower is going to make it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can get him on the field at all and he can make an impact, um, you know, week one. 
All right. Uh, obviously, you know, if he's out for just a couple of weeks, um, I guess once he gets back, you have this interesting situation that I see looming is – does he, you know, where does Rieger fit right back in? And then you have Alshon Jeffrey, who, as Adam Kaplan has mentioned a couple of times on your podcast, Inside the Birds and on Football at Four, that it looks like Jeffrey is going to be back sooner than later. So a depleted Eagles receiving core could have a different look, you know, two, three weeks into the season. Yeah, Adam, even on the most recent podcast that dropped this morning, mentioned that he feels that Alshon has a shot to play in September, not necessarily week one against Washington, maybe not even week two, but sometime in September. And it will be interesting to see what his conditioning is like. I mean, he hasn't if he doesn't get on the field to at least practice a little bit or get some conditioning in this week, then you could probably rule out week one and maybe even week two. Um, as soon as he starts getting on the practice field and doing something in some sort of capacity, then you can start to build maybe a more accurate timetable around that. Uh, so what they do from now, it'll be. It, I think it'll be fascinating to see if Jalen Rager comes back before Alshon and has some, you know, really good good efforts and good games. You know, how how do they work Alshon into the mix with Rager and Deshaun Manning, the two outside spots? But as you guys were well aware of, I mean, <laughs> you know, usually these things get settled out just based on injury alone and not even performance. What was Jalen Rager doing in camp so well that amazed everyone? What what stood out most in his game? Yeah, it's a good question, Hunter. So uh, when they drafted him, I think what makes him a little bit unique is that even though he's five foot eleven, one ninety five, he's built like Jeremy Macklin, and Jeremy Macklin had a nice career uh, as an Eagles receiver. But what what I think he does even better is attacking the football. He's very strong. Uh, for his size, and he is very good at contested catches. I think he was one of the best contested catch wide receivers in college last year. He has tremendous vertical, and if you remember, we were kind of laughing a week or two ago. Carson Wentz made a, a Julio Jones comparison, and it seems ridiculous on the surface because of how good Julio is and also how big and tall and, and lengthy Julio is, which, which Jalen Rager is not, but the point was that for being his size, Jalen can really get up in the air and make those catches and grab the ball. And, you know, Adam has made a really good point. When's the last time the Eagles really had a receiver like that? You know, Macklin was a good West Coast receiver, but he wasn't known for going up and getting the ball. He was going to try to beat a defense over the top or, or you know, uh, across the middle. And Deshaun, we know, beats defenses across the top. But it's been a long time since the Eagles have had that kind of wide receiver who was a real go-getter of the football. Yeah, and I know that um, Ortega Whiteside's name has been mentioned as another guy having a solid camp, as is John Hightower. So uh, I guess the Eagles are going to you know, uh, see what they get from Ortega Whiteside, and then you wonder if Hightower, are they going to trust him enough to make him a part of this offense with um, Rieger out? Yeah, and the one thing to really keep in mind is that the Eagles, as we talk about a lot, are a heavy 12 personnel team. They play more two tight end formations than any team in the league. And there's no no reason why they can't play more if they feel that it's to their benefit. And obviously, if you're short two wide receivers in week one and you're two of your best players are Dallas, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, then you can play more 12 personnel than you typically play, uh, even when you are the leader in 12 personnel formations. And when you think about the fact that if you're going to take one part of the Washington football team and say, where are they really tough? 
uh, for a team that hasn't won a lot lately. You look at that front seven. I mean, they got pass rushers all over the place between Montez Sweat and Ryan Kerrigan, Chase Young that they drafted, you know, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. So it doesn't hurt the Eagles to be a little bit beefier up front in that 12 personnel to play a team like that. And so, and then the second thing I would say is, although it's annoying to have both Alshon and Jalen out for the season opener, you get usually five playmakers on the field at one time outside of the quarterback, right? Well, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, Deshaun Jackson, and Miles Sanders are going to be four of those five playmakers in most cases. And that's still pretty good. Speaking of 12 personnel, is there any update on the Zach Ertz contract extension? No, you know, the last I looked into it and, and you know, we talked about how you people can get kind of misled by certain headlines. You know, I know the NFL Network had, and Jeff McClain had also reported that talks uh, re-engaged recently between Ertz's camp and the Eagles, and that's true. But then you'll see people aggregate that as saying talks heating up or, you know, talks getting close. And that part I cannot say is true. I don't think they're any closer now uh, than they were a week or two or three ago when they weren't really – discussing at least that's the information that i've been given so i don't uh, we'll have to see how this situation goes on they have two years of control over zach Ertz, and so the eagles don't have to do anything unless you know zach Ertz becomes the type of guy who tries to you know use a, a power player leverage and sitting out and I, I don't know that he would do that either um i know adam said and i and i tend to agree with him on this you know this year, Zach Ertz, you'll probably, you know, you'll see play most likely. I don't know about next year on this deal that he's on right now. All right, Jeff, uh, let's go to the other big story that happened this weekend. Dillard got hurt last week. So the obvious question was, are you going to move Jason Peters back? It seemed that that would be the first priority. <laughs> However, Jason Peters threw a little wrench into the wheel over the weekend. He says, if you want to move me back to tackle, you need to pay me like a tackle. What happens now? Are the Eagles and the Peters camp in a stare down? Who has the upper hand? Is Peters, uh, are you disappointed in Peters? I mean, how do you read this whole situation? I generally stay relatively neutral on these type of discussions. I, I, I tweeted this. I think Jason Peters has every right to ask for more money, and the Eagles have every right to say no. And then it becomes a, a stare down, as you mentioned, or – or, or who blinks first. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people feel like Jason Peters has all the leverage because Andre Dillard went down, because Matt Pryor kind of got the first crack and didn't look very good in practice. But there's there's other solutions. And, and what's Jason Peters going to do if they don't give him a raise? Is he going to quit? Is he going to retire? Or is he going to ask for his release? If he does, is he going to get a job somewhere else that's going to pay him left tackle money because – he was on the open market for four months and didn't get a contract that was good enough for him to say yes to. So he came back to the Eagles to play right guard. So I don't know that the Eagles feel like they have to, um, you know, do anything with Jason Peters. And right now they're keeping him at right guard and they've got a week or two here to see if Jordan Maialata can play left tackle. I, I can't understand for the life of me why Matt Pryor got the first crack at left tackle. He's, he's not a left tackle. He didn't play left tackle in college. He's not the kind of athlete that you would want to see at left tackle. I'm surprised that Jordan Maialata didn't get the first crack. And I'm a little bit surprised, guys, that and, – and it doesn't get discussed very much, but I don't know why you can't move Lane Johnson over to left tackle. Uh, I know he's not practicing right now, so he couldn't have done it, but I don't understand why that's not discussed. I know that he's comfort 
acceptable there and that he's a very good right tackle. But think about if he could play left tackle, you have a little bit better options. Then, okay, Matt Pryor at least played right tackle in college, so maybe he could play there. Jordan Maialata, even Jack Driscoll, who has been a really impressive rookie, could play uh, some right tackle. And I get the feeling that Jack Driscoll is going to play a little bit this season if there's some injury problems. So uh, you mentioned a lot of scenarios here, except for one of which the Eagles saying, hey, Jason, somebody got hurt. We need you to play left tackle. Does he just say no refusal? He might, you know, and then I, I don't know what the I, I don't know. You know, he has such a cult. He has a very good relationship with the owner. I don't know that it's going to get acrimonious at okay. all. Maybe, maybe they maybe again, you maybe you like keep to him stay, at right, Jeff, you said you like to stay neutral on this, which I can respect. Obviously, you're, you're a reporter covering the team. Are you surprised mm-hmm. at all that Peters essentially put himself above the team? Well, he hasn't yet. Uh, they haven't moved him to left tackle. Look, they didn't come out and say we want Jason Peters to play left tackle. So oh. I don't know where they're at with, with their their mindset. I mean, I think they want someone to play left tackle who's going to be healthy and play all 16 games there. And I don't know if they feel like if moving Jason Peters to left tackle, that just becomes a Band-Aid until he – you know, has to miss some snaps or a game, and then they have to figure out another left tackle as well as as right guard. You understand what I'm saying? So when I say I'm neutral, I'm just meaning it's not even about like you know what I think is best. It's about I I see why both sides feel the way they feel. But I, I'll say this about Jason Peters: he should have had he should have known going into his contract negotiations with the Eagles that Andre Dillard didn't look great last year, didn't have an off season this year that was typical, and that it's probably in the back of the Eagles' minds that he may have to play left tackle at some point this year. Jason Peters should have known that and had something written into his contract to say, if you're moving me to left tackle, then you're going to have to bump my pay. That anybody could have seen clear as day, right? I mean, I think anybody could have really right, or put clauses or theorized in, put that. Clauses and he in didn't the have contract. that done. Right, have put clauses in the contract that said, if I get X amount of snaps – at this position, I can earn mm-hmm. more money. Right, and he didn't have that done, so that's on him. So if they, that's why I say, fine, if the Eagles say no, I think they've got every right to say no and and, and move on and, and do, you know go about their business. It almost seems and, as if he's using the time as leverage. Like if this happened during week four, week five, is he going to say in the middle of the year, like, I'm not moving to left tackle. Like I almost feel like he's using where the clock is in terms of the schedule to his advantage against the Eagles. I, I don't know because I don't know if the Eagles are going to let four or five weeks go by where they're kind of uncertain about their situation. I think they're going to take these next seven to ten days they got before the season opener and figure out if Maialata or somebody else can't be a good enough left tackle to keep Jason Peters at right guard. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we'll I, see. I mean, I could be wrong. Look, they could. They don't. They're off today. They could practice tomorrow, and maybe Jason Peters is right. is left tackle. I tend to think just. You know, knowing the team and that Jason's not the type of guy that you have to get left tackle reps for a whole week. Like they could probably two days before the season opener say, you know what, Jason, you're going to be a left tackle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, uh, and, and then maybe it becomes an issue. I, I have no idea. We have to see what unfolds there. But it's not like they need to get him over at left tackle and practice right now to get him ready to play that position. Right. Now, he was asked on Saturday, uh, Peterson, about what's the plan at left tackle. And he said, Peters is obviously in the conversation. Shortly after that, there's a report that says, well, he wants more money. And then I guess on Sunday, he w- I mean, he was not playing tackle yesterday, correct? He was playing guard. 
he was playing guard, and Adam Kaplan reported that it was one of his best practice that he had heard. He was told that this was one of Jason Peters' best practices at right guard. Yeah, so I don't know. It just seems like uh, if you were going to do it, you would do it sooner than later. Maybe not. I don't know. You're right. Tomorrow they get out to practice. They might get out there and put Jason Peters at left tackle, but uh, I would have to think that he gives them the best shot playing left tackle. He would, but then you've got a situation. So you have to say, do you want that? And then now you have to fill your right guard spot. Are you confident with Matt Pryor? Or do you want to give yourself seven to ten days to say, how are we with Jordan Maialata? We really like this guy. He's enormous. He's a tremendous athlete. Is he picking up this enough to be able to hold his own at left tackle so that we could keep a really good player in Jason Peters at right guard? And not only that, have Matt Pryor as a good piece of depth. At least he started games because depth is now a big issue on the offensive line. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to go out. I know Riley Rice name is out there because he might get cut by the Vikings. And that's another thing. If they can bring in Riley Reif to have him play, either be a backup or, or play guard or play tackle, it gives them more flexibility. So they've got some, they don't have a lot of time, but they do have some time to figure this out. Yep. Uh, we know the opener is coming up uh, two weeks. They'll play the Washington football team. You can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. And of course, uh, you know, training camp that yesterday was the last day of quote unquote training camp. There were no preseason games. Uh, but yesterday was the last day. Uh, how about Jalen Hurts? Uh, has anybody kind of uh, talked about? Has anybody seen him in you know any other role other than just playing uh, backup quarterback? Yeah, I mean, right now Nate Sudfeld is the number two. It's been a very inconsistent camp for Nate Sudfeld, um, but it's not as if it's been such a great camp for Jalen Hurts that the coaching staff feels like they're going to flip flop two and three. In fact, the feedback I get from Jalen is that he looks like a rookie quarterback who would expect to look at this point. You know, there are some things he does really well. There are other things that are, you know, that just are a work in progress. And um, that's what they expected. You know, he's coming from that Oklahoma spread offense and now he's in a West coast offense and the verbiage is so different. You're not looking at the card on the sideline and, having the head coach really make all the calls. This is you have to you have to have ownership of the offense to be ready to go in there and be a quarterback uh, from top to bottom. And so he's not ready yet. I think I think the big question is, you know, and again there's two weeks left here. What's on Howie's mind? It, are they comfortable with going into the season with Sudfeld and Hertz as the backups when neither of them have a whole lot. I mean Hertz has zero NFL experience. Sudfeld only has a little bit the last three years, they've kind of gotten very used to having either Nick Foles or a Josh McCown, a real veteran, come in and lead the offense. Are they comfortable now going into the year for the first time in a long time with a non-veteran backup quarterback? What's the deal with Carson's minor soft tissue injury? It seems like it's nothing too serious, but you know what exactly is going down there? Yeah, I've heard that it's nothing too serious, and, and a lot of it is precautionary. I don't know that he's – I wouldn't – expect to say he'll be back at practice tomorrow, but um, I also don't think it's going to keep him out of the season opener as well. Uh, Jeff Mosher at Jeff Mosher NFL inside the birds podcast. The latest one drops today. Uh, Ngakwe got traded with, when you see what they dealt uh, Minnesota did, were you, uh, would you have said, Oh, I would, I would have felt comfortable with that. Yeah. You know, the comp, the compensation, 
the trade compensation, Mike, I don't think was ever an issue for the Eagles or anyone involved. I mean, uh, it was pretty clear, you know, the Jags wanted at least a, a, a second round pick and more, you know, after the draft. And I don't think the Eagles were worried so much about what it would take to get him. The question is what it would take to afford him for the long term, right? He's a guy who, yeah, and I, I see that he made kind of a deal to play for less for this past year for Minnesota, but he's going to command a whole lot of money, you know, upwards of 20 to 23 million a year. And that is not um, a price tag that I think the Eagles believe that they can realistically afford without making a whole lot of moves to the, you know, getting rid of player X, Y, Z. And then all of a sudden your depth really gets tested. And we already know the Eagles are well over the cap. They can manage it, but with COVID here and the fact that the cap might go down, they may have to manage it even more so than in the past. So while I'm sure they would love the player and he fits the scheme and there's interest, it just didn't it, – financially it was not feasible. And I don't think Howie wanted to give up two picks for a one-year rental either. All right, Jeff Mosher, by the way, uh, the latest Inside the Birds podcast goes deeper into all these conversations uh, and you can also uh, go to InsideTheBirds.com and get their new newsletter, uh, which will give you updates on all the Eagles news and notes throughout the season. Jeff Mosher, Adam Kaplan, Andrew DeCecco is on tomorrow with football at 4. We're getting you ready for the Eagles opener in two weeks against Washington. And, of course, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Make sure you check out the latest Inside the Birds podcast. Jeff, thanks, man. All right, no problem. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, man. And Jeff Mosher, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk on the Hotline. He will be back on Wednesday's edition of Football at Four, which is brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Some quick fills note notes for you here. Jay Bruce and Ranger Suarez have been activated. Scott Kingery on the on the injured list. Wow, it's a pretty big upgrade here to the bullpen, huh? Throughout like the last couple weeks or so, last two weeks, you kind of added a lot more. Suarez was your best arm last year. Most, I mean, your most reliable guy. People wanted him in the starting rotation maybe this this season as the fifth guy. It's an interesting point. You know, do they look at him as the guy who gets those starts instead of Vinny V? I would not be against that at all. You think I would? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bullpen trade today by the Phillies. For details, go to our website, 973ESPN.com. The Phillies have made one trade today. They made two trades last week. The bullpen has a whole new look. Ask Mike and Broads is coming up. You can send us questions now, 609-403-0973. Text them in, 609-403-0973. Ask Mike and Broads coming up. It's All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike and Broads taking you until 6 o'clock tonight. And don't forget, we got game five on tomorrow. You feeling uh, confident about maybe this series getting extended a little bit? It looks like you actually took a question from Mass Mike and Broach. So do we start off with that one? You want to get that one into the mix? Yeah, why not? I mean, the question really was, are the Flyers doomed for Game 5? And I don't think they are doomed. I could Doomed? Doomed for Game 5. Not for the whole series. I think it's a tough uphill battle, of course. But for Game 5 specifically, I think they're going to find a way to win this. Extend it to 6. I don't know, man. You think they're done? It's hard for them to find creases. Hard for them to find room to get shots off. They Looks. didn't even play bad yesterday. I mean, I know they had a sloppy first, but for their sloppy first, they dominated the second. All around, I don't look at yesterday's performance. They, they could have won that game. They could have won that game. There was those moments in the third now, period when they scored the, they when they scored the goal late. 
About a minute left to go. Yeah, I was out. You on were out? That. I was out on that. You uh, know, I had a bet on uh, my app. Oh, yeah. That Provorov was going to score a goal. So you got that with the minute left. There you go. I think I saw a tip in there. I might call the NHL up and see if they can I change thought there was, I was like, no, 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 no. And what happens? That's interesting. If you do hit on Provorov scoring, and then the next day the NHL goes back, because they do change goals. Yeah. What happens? I don't know. I've never had that happen before. Yeah, that's. It's. I mean, it does happen pretty often I, too. I put uh, some money down on Provorov to score a goal. Phil Myers. All right. Fire, Myers like fifty five hundred to one. Yeah, that's a pretty high odd. Or good, he's like, good odds. He's but. like the him and Robert Hague are like the two longest shots of them all. Yeah, well, I Robert like to Hague. throw like a little Finsky on that, make the game a little interesting. You know. Yeah, I feel you. But look, with this game yesterday, they were right there. They, they had a chance. It came down to the last. What's the big minutes? difference in the game in the series? Like what's the big difference between the offensive creativity for the Islanders is definitely more than the Flyers overall. Like there were t- this is what bothers me though. There what? was a shot there was a chance yesterday where Voracek gets the puck. He's in the high slot area right inside the dots. Instead of ripping a puck on that, you can't ask for a better chance than being where Voracek was. He passes it to the wall where Sandheim is, and Samheim tries to pass it back door, goes to the corner, and then the Islanders go the other way. Like you try to look for shots in the high slot. You get one, and you're passing it to the wall. I just blows my so mind. That's where like Voracek is not a goal scorer. Right, he's, he's more not. of a creator. He's Correct. like a, he he wants to he wants someone else. So like you have Giroux, similar. He's not a goal scorer. He wants to be the guy who bounces one off the wall, and then it falls right to you, and you put it in the net. They got too many guys that have that same mentality. They that's been their problem with this group for a while. I would have to agree with you. I, I just, I'm like torn because I want to show my frustration, but at the same time, I want to acknowledge that them losing in this round it shouldn't be. No, you said that before the series. Upon. No, you said that before the series. So you're right. Yeah, it shouldn't. Like be. even Couturier is a good player, but he's similar to those other guys where he's not a great scorer. He's more of a. He's a two way forward that like loves his defensive role, which he's been giving up some brutal ones. That's the thing. Like Matt Niskanen was so strong this year. For him to fall apart late, that's upsetting because the reason why this team was so good is because Matt Niskanen and Provorov were so good. For them to be the ones that fall apart late, it's almost damning. It's like, that's who we need to step up. So it's unfortunate because the guys like Niskanen, who was so good, was your downfall in, in this playoff game. By the way, Ask Mike and Broads is brought to you by Prop Swap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online at PropSwap. Com. Ask Mike and Broad. Send us your questions. 609-403-0973. Would you guys rather go to the bar for a drink or around the fire pit? That's from Tom in the Bills. I'm definitely a fire pit guy. Like the bar at this point, especially now. I mean, we had a party of like 15 over the week. Oh, let's go here. You call all these places. You got to get two tables. You push it together. You can't sit at the bar outside. It's a nightmare. I'm going with. What about in normal times? Normal times? I think I still would rather be at a house by the bonfire outside at someone's house over a bar. Yeah, see, uh, I'm kind of split. As I've gotten older here, I like, you know, we got the porch. You know, you like hanging out in the porch. During the daytime, I like a daytime outside at the bar. I like a daytime outside by the bar. I can agree with that more so than the 2 a.m. thing. Now, I'm not a fan of watching the football game at the bar. Anti. Anti. Yeah, hate it. Hate. I can't stand... I know a lot of my friends, oh, let's go to the bar to watch the Flyers game. No. And they go to the bars, too, where 
they don't pl if you go to Xfinity Live where the sound is, you know, everyone's watching big TV, the sound is being pumped out. I could get behind that. I don't love it, but I can get behind it. They go to these little like bars where the TV's a 10 inch on the top left behind the tap, and you can't see and you can't hear anything either. Yeah, they're I, playing like rock music. I in the am background. not a fan of watching the game at the bar, especially where they don't have the sound on. Definitely where they don't have the sound on. But yeah. Not a fan of that. Well, because I like to dissect it and get into it heavily. It's hard. Well, right, we're watching it a little differently than the guy who's at there, you know. But I can't focus. I got people talking to me. I'm into the game. I'm. I want to watch. I. I. The guy who watches the bar at the game. He's not a real fan. I'm gonna have to agree I with am you. Out on that. I'm glad that you said that because a lot of my my buddies they kind of give me a, a, a jokingly a hard time like ah bro doesn't come and no. he's got to watch the game. Yeah, but I watch the game differently than you guys want to drink beers, shotgun beers for every touchdown. I can't do all that. I got my notebook. Right, I'm out on that. Notebook. Now college football, I'll watch at the bar. Agreed, agreed. Because here's the difference: the the breakdown is different for us. Uh, right, like okay, a couple years ago. The Eagles were playing. It was the year that they, that, um, was it 2017? No, it was the year after when they had to win like four games in a row to make the playoffs yes. and they ended up doing it. Yep. And I was on vacation. It was like late December. Tough time to take vacay. Well, late December. Was it playing for a while? I'm always off like late December, you know, like you that time of the year. Great football, though. No, like. They were out of it, though. They had to win, like, four games in a row. So, like, I forget who they beat that weekend. I think they played the Rams. I think they played the Rams that game. And I went to the bar to watch the game. And I don't remember watching any of it. I was just, like, people talking to me. That's what I said, this is why I can't watch the game at the bar. Sound's not on. Right. TV's too now, small. Now, I could get away with <laughs> the TV too small. I could get away with the Phillies game at the bar. You know what I mean? Like 162. Yeah. I can get away with that. Like, for example, I had a couple buddies over yesterday for the Flyers Even game. Even Flyers game I can watch out. Yeah. Flyers game I had a couple buddies You know, I had a couple buddies over. And, like, how do you feel about, okay, so can you watch it? Say you had, let's go, five friends over to watch the Eagles game at your house. Is that still a little disruptive? Uh, I, I, I prefer... To watch the game by myself or, like, me and you do the show together. Right. Hey, you come by and we'll watch because the game we're together. Both, we're both dissecting it together. You need Correct. someone who's in the same mindset when dissecting. Yeah, like, Eagles Super Bowl. Super Bowl. I had one guy at my house. That was it. Now, it's interesting you bring I'm that up. I'm watching the biggest game in the history of the Eagles. I can't be distracted by being at some party. Interesting you bring that up. Because normally for the Super Bowl, I'll go to a party, somebody's house, right. yada, yada. If the team's in that you don't care about, sure. Right. Now, so Eagles, I was by myself, and my college buddy who lives around here was here. No, was I, at my house. I would got do it that pizzas. way. Yeah. Oh, three pizzas. Yeah. Nice. What kinds? I don't remember. It was okay. like three years ago. Well, you should remember, because the Eagles won the Super Bowl. That's true. But I got stuck. So my roommate at the time, I was still playing college hockey then, he was a diehard Patriots fan. And we, me and him, we were like the true diehard sports fans. Everyone else was just like a fan of hockey. So we were almost the show. Our entire team came to watch us watch the game. They didn't even care about the game. They just wanted to literally watch us watch the game. And it was overwhelming. Like, I'm here trying to actually break this thing down. And, you know, you got some jokes and everyone freaking out, screaming, going nuts. I couldn't properly do it, but I, I didn't have another choice. I had to watch it with him. And guess what he did afterwards? The... the Two minutes left, Tom Brady had that drive, right? This was when the um, 
Oh, it was the uh, before the fumble actually happened, right? Or was that after the, the fumble by Brandon Graham? Regardless, all I remember was there was the two-minute drive with Tom Brady with the ball in his hands. And I shook my buddy's hand. Diehard Patriots, I shook his hand. I'm like, dude, this is, could we want anything better than this? Tom Brady, two-minute drill. This is it. I mean, if we could have signed up for this before, we would have took it. Here we go. And afterwards, he didn't look me in the eyes. He wouldn't say anything. He stomped to the front door, had his shoes, <laughs> and slammed the door shut. Because he was talking a lot of smack all week long. He was angered. He was pissed. We were all laughing at him, flipping him off through the glass window while he was walking out of the house. All right. It was great. It was a good question about that guy. Yeah, it was a good question. Yeah, like Saturday night, Flyers game. Had people over on the back porch. Had the game on on the TV outside. I can do that. There's moments where I like to be alone for Eagles. Eagles games more than any other game. I like yeah, to be alone. Football Sunday, I'm typically by myself. It should be that way, though. It should. All right, question here from Kyle. Did the Phillies do enough at the deadline? Yeah, I think, I they, think did they did. Too. I think they did, too. I mean, keep in mind, you got to remember, they added three arms last week, so you got to incorporate that. Plus, they just activated Suarez. That's a fourth arm, and they traded for Phelps. That's a fifth arm. They got five new bullpen arms. I would have to agree. They definitely did enough. I mean, you think about where we were a couple weeks ago. Austin Davis, Guerra. I mean, it was slop. Cole Irvin was getting in the you games. Think, you think uh, Girardi went upstairs and said, unacceptable? Not what I signed up for. Maybe. I would love if he did that. It's clear that, uh, well, Bob Wankel is, is saying that it, it is clear that Joe Girardi did have some sort of input here on the decision to yeah. make what they did today. So you would think that he does have a lot of say. Because I see now the bullpen that they could be going with is Workman as the closer. You've got Neris, Hunter, Hembry, Morgan, Phelps, the kid Parker, the kid, the Blake Parker's He's done well. pitched well. Done well. Velasquez, we keep forgetting about him in the bullpen. I don't mind him as much. And Suarez coming back. And Hale, who they just got. I think Reggie McLean's probably going to be a goner. Please. Please with the Reggie McLeans. How did he even get into the game yesterday? I guess at some point you're kind of screwed, huh? Well, we'll see. We'll see because they had to utilize a lot of the bullpen yesterday. And uh, there's definitely a snowball effect, a domino effect when that happens. So they're going up against the Nationals, who are not doing very well this year. Remember when we were doing that breakdown of the 60 biggest storylines heading into the baseball season? And it was up there, though. Will the Washington Nationals go back-to-back? -back? And I remember you asked, is this really get me going and not really uh, did anyone really expect the nationals to go back to back it would be different well, they lost strasburg right they lost rendon but losing rendon we knew about when if the dodgers won last year and heading into this year if the question was will the dodgers go back to back i think that's intriguing but the nationals was almost like some beautiful insane sports like i don't know crazy ride it wasn't so much that team is stacked and is going to have a big dynasty right because and they lost Rendon. Right. And then, you know. It was a miracle miracle ride to begin with, though. That's not a knock the players that they had, but it was just one of those seasons where it worked out for them and they had everything clicking. But it doesn't seem like it's some long-term successful roster that's just going to rake against teams consistently. Speaking of Reggie McClain, he just got designated for assignment. Yeah, no surprise there. All right, so it looks like this bullpen's coming together a bit. Yeah, Jay Bruce reinstated. Ranger Suarez reinstated. Reggie McLean designated for assignment. Uh, what should we expect out of Ranger Suarez? 
The guy's been out on this COVID-19 list for a long time. Is it fair? Sort of like when we asked the question with Shake Milton, is it fair to expect this guy to just come into the playoffs and be this guy, right? Is it fair to expect Ranger Suarez after what he just went through, which was clearly not your standard asymptomatic case, is it fair for him to just walk in and start dominating? Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think these teams are pretty smart at knowing when the right time to activate, like when they're ready to really contribute. You know, like last night. We saw Limblom on the ice. That's right. There was some speculation, like, is he going to play? And he's out there skating. He wasn't going to – he didn't end up playing. But, like, you're thinking to yourself, he hasn't played since December the 7th. Can you really put him back on the ice in a playoff situation? That is definitely a great question, no doubt. You just wonder if that's almost like a last resort thing in terms of – not saying last resort, hey, throw him out there, but we need a spark. What, what can this team really thrive off of? And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve being out there, but I'm just saying if I'm Elaine Vigneault, what, is the po- what are the positives outside of Oscar Lindblom's skill set that can be added if he gets inserted in the lineup? And one is definitely a big spark for the team, right? I mean, you, t- you see him take the ice for the first shift. That team is buzzing. So I just wonder if right, they go with him. Right, but you just wondering how many minutes could he really give you? Right. Maybe his adrenaline is just on another level that game. You know, sometimes you just have that adrenaline rush. You wonder how much of a difference he would have made in this series. He was one of those guys like Scott Lawton to me where I was screaming, oh, you know, the Scott Lawtons of the world. When are we done with these type of players? I threw Oscar Lindblom in that conversation as well, and he had a phenomenal But season. is he another guy who's... Not a goal scorer, but more of a creator, like for others. He found ways to score goals, but it's not. It's similar to JVR. Different, but similar. And what I mean by that is, you know, he's not in front of the net tipping pucks and being some big body like JVR is, but JVR finds ways to score goals without sniping the goalie all the time. Oscar Lindblom, he finds ways to score goals, but he's not like a pure sniper. Right, exactly. He had 11 goals in 30 games, so, you know, he could find the net, but he's not your go-to goal scorer. He'd help, though. Good stuff. Ask Mike Broads brought to you by PropSwap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online, PropSwap.com. Plenty more to go, including this whole uh, Phillies at the trade deadline. We'll look for their lineup for tonight. The bullpen is now. And, of course, it's brought to you today by your Delaware Valley Acura dealers this month. Visit your local dealer for great deals on the award-winning Acura. Lineup, Mike Hill, Hunter Brody. What's up, everybody? Phillies make a trade at the deadline. So there we are. This is the team. This is the fights. Feel good? I feel way better than I did two weeks ago. Got to, right? It would be hard not to. I mean, the team's way better. Bullpen is way better. It really is. And I, I actually, I'm so intrigued by the move they made today. I think you got something here. More than just this season. And that's why I'm even more excited about it. I just feel he's a guy that's been around Joe Girardi before. And he gets the job done. Like, he's a bullpen arm you can actually rely on. They have a couple of them now, though. That's the thing. You had all this, you know, you had a disaster in the bullpen. It cost you a bunch of games, you know? They, they Their bullpen cost them a bunch of games early in this season that if they just had somewhat of a competent bullpen, they might be in first place right now. I think that's reasonable. Now, Corey Simon tweeted, since 2016, David Phelps, 171 appearances, 2.85 ERA, 
11 Ks per nine, and righties have hit 196. So I gave you the stats on the lefties that were good. Since 2016, righties are hitting 196 against him. He's been really good. And Joe Girardi, you know, he was asked about how important it is for the Phillies, um, you know, to get him. He mentioned that he can fill a bunch of different roles. You know, he can uh, face lefties. He can face righties. You know, it, to me, gives them way more depth in the bullpen. And I think it helps solidify roles. Now, one thing that Phelps really hasn't done is close games out. So I don't think you can be like, well, if Workman kind of falls apart, no, I think you would probably go back to Neris in that situation. So I think one one glaring thing for this team would be they still don't have that guy in the ninth that you feel really – a lot of teams don't, but they really don't. I am not a fan of Workman. Every time he gets in there, I get nervous, really. It's it's not like – yes, you can look at it and say, well, he's ha he has a couple saves, but those saves – three. You were really sweating it out. You got nervous. Reese Hoskins had to make some unbelievable defensive play, which I would never think that I would see ever again. So it was just, you know, you sweat it out. So I don't feel great with him in there. It it actually concerns me. And I was watching the – I think that's now – their bullpen is now decent. Their biggest problem is you don't have a reliable closer. Right, which is a step in the right direction without a doubt. Instead of the whole bullpen being a problem, now it's just – Who would you rather closer. close, Workman or Neris? I will say right now, I know Neris is playing better, but I think right now you, you should go with Workman, even though it, it's not great, but neither is Neris. Even though we had a couple games put together, I think I'll still go with Workman for right now. For right now. Do you disagree? Um, well, he's you know he's saved three games. He's, he's nailed them all down. Too many walks for me. That's another problem. He's up in the zone too much, man. Neris, I don't trust him either. I mean... Neither one's a great option. I guess Workman until he kind of shows some – until he blows a save or two right. in a row, I think they'll stick with them. But I ultimately think they're going to go back to Neris at some point. Probably, probably. If you see some struggles, you'll see that. Now, yesterday I was watching with one of my buddies, and I'm like, you know, I really like Hembry better than Workman. Hembry allowed a bomb. You know, I really like Workman better than Hembry. <laughs> <laughs> but now I, I do like Hembry better than Workman, but not in terms of – the closing role, just in general. But, um, you know, look, it, it's definitely improved. It's something to be intrigued about. This offense is clearly clicking. Gene Segura getting three hits. Here's the thing that gets people upset about Gene Segura. He ends up getting three hits, which is awesome. He gets picked off in the seventh. Not, he wasn't picked off, but it was a brutal double play where he didn't tag up. It, it was ugly. And that's where the frustration lies with someone like Gene Segura. Yeah. I mean, Segura... He frustrates you so much because, I don't know, he just seems like the guy who's always on the team that's just good. Like, I don't know, he just seems like he's not a winning player because of the things you just mentioned. Right, but if the team's constructed well enough. I don't like him in the five hole either. Well, they keep moving all these pieces around all the time. But if if he's constructed on a, on a team, if he's on a team that's constructed well enough, is it fair to say that he's not a winning guy? I just feel, okay, in Seattle, that team wasn't winning anything. He came here in Philly, and, okay, now we're intrigued because they have a good bullpen. If their bullpen was fixed, do you look at Gene Segura and say, well, he's not a winning guy? Or is I, it the I just feel like he problem? makes a lot of plays. That uh, He makes a lot of he does mental some, mistakes. He does make some mental mistakes. But if you're making up for those mental mistakes with hitting 300, I think you can get by with this guy. Well, he's not hitting 300. Well, that's what, his, <laughs> that's what he can do that's, for you, though. 
be good. He didn't hit 300 last year either. No, but he's a 280 to 300 hitter, I'd say. Yeah, I don't like him in the five hole, though. You don't like a lot of things about these lineups. Yeah, next hour, by the way, Flyers are one game from elimination. Sixers head coaching search. Jason Kidd is interested in the job. Also, Dawn Staley said if they call, she'd listen. Who's the best coaching candidate for the 76ers? 609-403-0973. The text board is open. A lot to dive into in the final hour of the show. This Jason Peters news is still a little crazy when you think about it. We got all that more coming up as the Phillies play the Nationals tonight. South Jersey's favorite sports show, The Sports Bash with Mike Gill, now has a podcast. You can listen to full episodes of your favorite segments, interviews, and more, like Football at Four, Ask Mike and Bros, and more, whenever you want, wherever you want. Miss that big interview or reaction to breaking news? Full episodes of The Sports Bash are now available on multiple podcasting